Welcome back to the All Outdoors Photography Podcast, and today we have Ray Hennessy on the show. Ray is a full-time professional wildlife photographer spe- specializing in dramatic bird images. He also teaches workshops and is a host of the podcast Wildlife Photo Chat, among many other podcasts. So welcome to the show, Ray. Hey, thanks for having me. I love the intro. You guys got, I just need to bring you around with me and like introduce me that way all the time. That was <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me sound so professional. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, welcome. And, um, so I'm sure you've done many podcasts before and you've probably told your starting story many times. So we wanted to ask a bit of a different question to kind of start out today. So, yeah. um, what was kind of the moment, say you were out in the field or maybe on the computer, um, like reviewing images, what was the moment that you knew that wildlife photography was the genre for you? Ooh, Hmm. That's a good one. Um, Man, I don't know if there was a moment. I think I think it was all just kind of like a gradual thing. I think there was kind of like there was maybe a moment and I don't you know, I don't even know if I could pinpoint it, but there was you know, there's probably like a time period, a period of time where I kind of just realized like oh, like this is what I'm doing now, you know? Like this is this is my path. I'm like all in on this, you know? Like all of a sudden it went from you know, just something I do once in a while to something that that was like all I wanted to do, you know? Uh, and yeah, I don't know if I could really pinpoint when that happened. Um, I guess, you know, probably maybe the first time I thought, Hey, I really want to get a 500 F4. That's when I knew I was in deep. <laughs> yeah. Financially speaking. <laughs> yes. In every way. Yeah. It's like, yeah. When I started thinking about like, Oh, I think I want to actually, you know, upgrade this gear and get, you know, serious and, and really invest in it. That's when it was just like, Oh, this is, this is serious now. And, and, and I'm for sure all in on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you say you kind of caught the bug. Is that, I mean, a lot of people talk about that. Like they, they catch the wildlife bug and then they just keep progressing until it takes over everything. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I grew up in the outdoors. I grew up hunting and fishing with my father. And so I out like outdoors, nature, wildlife, it was just always a part of my life, you know, from as young as I can remember uh, and have any memories, right. We're just always outdoors in nature. So, um, once I just started getting more into photography, then it just, it, it was a complete and utter natural evolution to, just start photographing that sort of thing and i and i started doing it with my father like he he started doing it first actually and i was doing other photography and um and i saw him doing that and i was like oh yeah well of course like why wouldn't we combine those two things you know mm-hmm. yeah so, capturing the photos you document or documenting yeah. the photos by the you know what you yep. see and everything your observations yeah exactly and just you know it just I, man everything that we did like i don't know you know i I look back on like the hunting and the fishing aspect of things. And it's like, it's not something I would ever do again now, just with my, you know, with my awareness of, you know, just how kind of precious all of the wildlife is and and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I certainly see it differently now. Not that I have a problem with others that hunt or anything. I just wouldn't do it myself anymore. But, um, I always loved how my dad taught me about hunting and fishing and all that. And it was, it was all just kind of a reason to get outdoors and be in nature, you know, like that was, that was just our, our way of doing that. It was, it was all about being outdoors, you know? Um, and so with wildlife photography, that's, that was kind of the same thing. It's like, Oh, well, here's just another reason for us to be out and enjoying nature. So why not? Like, that sounds perfect. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that makes total sense. Like, if you look back on your life, you know, you can really trace kind of the early signs that you would eventually get into wildlife photography, or at least for me. Yeah. It sounds like the same for you. So that, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I, you know, I certainly never, like, for the first, I don't know, 15 years of me shooting wildlife, I never thought I would be doing it as a job like it always just even though for those same 15 years that was my job i like i made a living as a photographer um mm -hmm. i just never thought like oh i'll be making a living as a wildlife photographer that just never really crossed my mind it seems so foreign it seems so almost impossible and it also seemed like i didn't need to because it was just such a fun hobby and i almost didn't not that i didn't want to it just i don't know, just didn't really cross my mind you know so now that that's my job it's kind of like that part is weird to me still yeah only imagine yeah in hindsight you just see all the the pieces go together and you go like it's funny how it worked out that way but yeah how hard do you oh, think yeah. in your own words like how hard do you think it would be to be a full-time wildlife photographer like before you started oh um again i guess i feel like i had a little bit of a different perspective right because i had run my own photography business for 10 years prior to me even entertaining the idea of being a full-time wildlife photographer. So I kind of had this understanding of how hard it is to be, you know, like to run your own business at, as a photographer, right? And so I knew the amount of work I had gone through that starting a business, growing a business, establishing it, making it successful process already. So when I knew I was going to, like when I made the decision to try and do it for wildlife, I knew it was just going to be that same process again. Like I knew how kind of difficult it was going to be. Um, and it kind of came true. And there was certainly times, like, especially in the first year or so, where I was just terrified, like, oh, is this, I, I don't know how I'm going to survive. Am I going to make enough? And blah, blah, blah. Um, but when it really comes down to it, it's just like, you have, like, for me, I had to just be 10,000% in, man. It had to be all in. I did nothing else. I had, you know, not to get too personal, right? But I had just gotten a divorce. So I was single and just had nothing else going on in my life. I have no children, um, no ties to anything else, right? So it was just, I was able to just dive all in on wildlife photography and basically every waking moment of my life for that first probably year and a half was just that. That's all I did. And that's what it took for me to kind of get the business to where it's at now, where I can have a little bit more free time and I don't have to kind of devote quite as much time anymore. Right, yeah. It, what feels you do you think to be like so prolific? Like we mentioned in our little intro blurb, like you have like multiple podcasts, you got this workshops you do, like what really feels to you in that way? Man, I just love sharing stuff. That's really it. You know, like that's such a big part of photography for me and especially my wildlife photography, the bird photography. I just love sharing photography, you know? And so that's like from the, I man, I would love, I got to look back and see when it started. It started back when I had a Flickr account before Facebook and Instagram even existed, right? I, I was on Flickr and posting a, a photo every day and I never stopped, you know? Like once I kind of just realized like, oh, I got enough photos that I can start sharing a photo every day. And trust me, they were bad. They were crap photos then. <laughs> um, but I mean, to me, they were great at the time, right? Like I'd look back at them now and say they're horrible. Um, and there was probably a few like, you know, solid ones in the mix, right? Everybody gets lucky when you're a beginner. Um, but the majority of them weren't great, but I thought they were, you know, so I was just happy to share them. And even some of my new weren't great, but I was still just happy to share because I just like sharing stuff. Right. So that's just in my personality. 
I love sharing my art. I love sharing my passion for this, you know, genre of photography. I love sharing my passion for nature. And now, you know, I, I love teaching as well. So I like putting that spin on it. So I just love putting content out. And um, if it's, if it excites me and I'm enjoying it, I want to, I want to share that with others. That's just kind of how I am. Right. Yeah. And passion's a little bit of a buzzword nowadays, but like, I totally agree with you where it's like people can really pick up on just your energy and like how passionate you are about whatever it is you're really doing. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I very much agree. And you know, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people say, especially when they're talking about social media, right? They're like, Oh, but I just, you know, kind of talking about this concept of not shooting for social media, right? Not shooting to share stuff. Right. And then, and I hear this statement of like, Oh, I just shoot for myself. And I mean, maybe they do, I don't know. But to me, that sounds so foreign, right? Because to me, the reason to take a photo is to share it, right? If I just wanted to quote unquote shoot for myself, well, I wouldn't take a camera. I just walk out in nature and just try and remember it, right? I would just have that memory mm -hmm. and that connection with nature, right? That's to me, just like enjoying nature for yourself. But if you're going to take a photo, in my mind, like the point is to share it. Um, even if it's just to share it with one other person, right? Um, and so that's how I view photography. You know, it's like, I take these photos to share them. That's kind of the point. Right. Yeah. And you were doing that long before social media in a way too, it's just like on Flickr. So that's really cool that you probably had that like mindset throughout. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was like, as soon as I found Flickr, I mean, I remember it was probably like, gosh, I would guess maybe like 2002, something like that, that wow. I found Flickr, like stumbled upon Flickr and, um, that was before I was shooting wildlife. Like I didn't really start shooting birds and wildlife until like 2000. In fact, it was so funny. I just the other day, I stumbled upon a photo that was my first common loon photo from like a camping trip I did with my family in, in 2004. And it was on a Nikon T70 <laughs> with like a 70 or no, it was like a 28 to 200 like kit lens or something like that. I mean, the photo is like horrible. I think I threw it on my Instagram story. Um, but I was like, oh, wow, I shot like a bird photo in 2004. So anyway, um, a few years prior to that, I was shooting other stuff, you know, portraits and whatever else I was just shooting. Um, and then I stumbled upon Flickr and I was like, oh, wow, look at that. Like you can share photos here. This is incredible. And then and then I started seeing other photos. I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, oh, it's a great way to learn, you know, and just see what others are doing and that sort of thing. And so I joined Flickr then and then, you know, eventually started shooting the birds and started sharing more of that. And, and then, you know, start doing the daily sharing and then just never stopped. So like before Flickr, like how would you share with people? Would you like print them out and like show them to the, to your friends and family or what was kind of your method back then? No, I never printed. Um, I think it was weird. I was, I was a working professional photographer and didn't have a camera for probably three or four years. Oh wow. <laughs> wow. So yeah. Um, I got into like being a, excuse me, um, a working photographer by just being on the computer side of things like so that's what you know in 1999 when i was graduating high school i didn't know what i wanted to do took a digital photography class and within like a month or two i was teaching the class and the teacher photoshop um and so i just really liked the digital side of things the computer side of things like manipulating photos and that sort of thing and so i got this job at a portrait and wedding studio at just kind of running their digital department right i didn't shoot all i did was just like operate the computer right and manipulate photos and and edit them and and do what they needed to do to to make that studio work um and i was fine with that like that's all i wanted to do for years and then 
eventually I got completely tired of that and was just like, all right, now I want to be behind the camera and start shooting. Um, and so I don't know, I think, I mean, honestly, probably like when I got my first camera is about when I was like, I discovered Flickr, you know, I may have even discovered Flickr like right at the same time or right before it. And then was like, got a camera and then started sharing. Um, so yeah, I don't have any memory of sharing photos prior to some kind of online medium. Wow. That's interesting. You jumped, yeah, past all that. So I'm not sure if you mentioned already, but what was like your first camera? You probably went straight to digital, I imagine, right? Yes, I did. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I learned through like the, uh, the job I had, um, I learned photography on Hasselblad cameras, you know, like that's how I learned photography was on medium format film and shooting weddings and that sort of thing, uh, with that kind of camera. So, uh, that was interesting to learn that, but then my first camera, because I was always on the computer side of things, um, was a Nikon D 200. Um, but I had used and borrowed a D 70 that that studio had had. And, and really funny, like the first, like when I first started working there in 1999, that they had a digital SLR, it was a Kodak 520, which was a $12,000, two megapixel camera. <laughs> it's crazy to think now, but yeah, back then it's revolutionary. Yeah. Oh, it was like top of the line, man. Uh -huh. You know, it was like uh -huh. as good as you could get, you know, like, I mean, just any di digital SLR with interchangeable lenses was like unheard of almost at that point, you know? So like the fact that I got to like put my hands on that camera in 1999 and actually take photos and mess around with it and then edit those photos was like, this is incredible, you know? Yeah. Um, and it probably shot so, like one frame per second too. <laughs> I don't even know if it had multiple, like, I don't even know if it had a burst. Yeah. yeah. It was that first one I think was based on a Canon body. And then funny, like the next year, Kodak came out with their next model and then it was all based on Nikon kit. Um, and so then like the studio had to switch and get all Nikon glass for that camera because they wanted the newer digital camera because it went from like two megapixel up to six megapixel. And it was like, oh my gosh, like all this resolution. Um, and so anyway, that's how I ended up shooting Nikon, right? Because they shot Kodak, which was based on a Nikon body. And so it had the Nikon ergonomics and then Kodak just basically fell apart and disappeared. They like just fell out of the industry. And so the evolution for that studio, they already had the Nikon glass investment. So they just went Nikon with their digital SLRs and I got used to shooting them there. And so when I bought my first one, I bought a Nikon D200. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What a way to go about it though. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so, I mean, yeah. it was so weird. And listen to this. You ready? The craziest thing. Those Kodak cameras did not shoot JPEGs. They only shot raw. Wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they didn't Imagine actually... starting out with that. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up like doing raw, like only shooting raw and understanding it before I even shot JPEGs because that's the only thing that that camera did at the time. And so I like I remember. I remember not even understanding it. And like um, somebody that like sold these cameras came into the studio and did like, it was doing like a demo of the, like the next model. And they showed us what you could do with like highlight recovery on a raw file. And I remember my mind being blown. I was like, what I've had this power all along and didn't know it. Cause I've been working with these raw files and you always had to convert it and use using codec software. And it was, I just viewed it as like a pain in the ass. Right. Uh, meanwhile, it was a raw file that had like all this extra power and I didn't even know it. And then as soon as I found that out, I was like, Oh my gosh. And my mind was blown and I was so happy. And, and so, yeah, I like was using all this raw file stuff before 
you know, like Nikon's first camera didn't even shoot raw. It was JPEG only, you know? So it was just kind of weird how it all happened. It was such a strange time. Yeah. It's yeah, so like with sure. that, with, with that class and teaching your, like your teacher, as you said, other students, Photoshop, and then doing this where you start out with shooting raw. It's like, you're always like ahead of the game in such a way too. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, but, but like <laughs> not planned at all. Yeah. Like completely yeah, yeah. stumbling into it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, but I think sometimes, you know, when you're a beginner, kind of those force limitations can like really help you, you know, oh, yeah. you oh. know if you had the option to shoot JPEG, you know, you may not be as far as you are yep. today. So yeah, no, you're, you're, uh, that's a wonderful point, man. I completely agree with that in all aspects. Right. Um, sometimes I think, you know, you see these like beginner photographers and then all of a sudden they want like the best, the longest lens. Right. And like, sometimes I almost kind of think like it's, listen, I think honestly, it is great that, uh, you know, uh, Tamron and Sigma have these, you know, 150 to 600 millimeter lenses that are affordable and people can get into it. That That is really a good thing. But but on the learning side, I think sometimes that's almost uh, a hindrance, right? Because all of a sudden you're starting out at 600 millimeter and you have all this reach. And it's like, uh, I think it maybe sometimes inhibits people learning that field craft aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if they maybe started with just a 300 millimeter only and then had to get really good at getting close to their subjects and kind of learning that, then when they upgrade to a five or 600, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, now I got this. I know how to get close. And now my photos are just amazing because the, the lens got better, but I already have the field craft versus kind of the other way where you almost maybe don't need as much field craft because you just have all this reach. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I like think... Excusing... Sorry, go ahead, Henry. Well, I was just going to say, like, if you if you give a beginner an 800 millimeter and you give, like, a like an amateur professional um, who's been doing it a couple of years, like a, a 300, I mean, they could get a much better photo. Just because, you know, the yeah. beginner will stick back. Um, but, I mean, there's a certain range of wildlife where it's just almost too far to shoot, no matter what lens you have. So I think yep. that's a great point for sure. True. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's not like excusing the focal length as being, like, laziness, of course, but it is like I feel like it really teaches you patience. Correct. Yep. Yeah. 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 It, it totally, you're right. It's not laziness at all, but it's just, it's a different approach, right? You have to, if you're stuck on shorter focal lengths, you have no choice but to get better at your field craft of learning these subjects and understanding their behavior so that you can get close enough to get a decent shot, right? It's, and it's not that the photographer with the longer lens is being inherently lazier. It's just, they don't have to, cause they can, they have the extra reach, right? So having your hand forced, like you said, right? Like kind of what we we're tying it into having my hand forced with some of these learned like learning techniques and, or like, you know, being stuck on raw files. Uh, I think it's a good thing sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so shifting gears here a little bit, um, we want to talk about maybe your creative approach with uh, photo taking. So um, you, use of light is very stunning uh, to say the least. So yeah. What do you look for when it comes to different light and directions? Like, yeah, what do you really go for? And you know, how do you, I guess, express that in a photograph? That's easy, man. It's just one word drama. Like that's <laughs> it for me. You know, like I just love dramatic light. Um, I've loved it since I learned how to use it and manipulate it for portrait photography. And that's, a big part of what influenced my my bird photography style is what I learned and was able to figure out and and was taught um, with my wedding photography. Um, And understandably, right, it's easier when you have subjects that you can say, stand over here and let me add a reflector here and turn your face this way, right? So uh, I was able to dial it in and kind of learn and figure that stuff out with wedding photography and then start applying it to my bird photography and 
uh that's what i always seek out man i just seek out drama so you know give me strong side light give me strong backlight if it's uh if it's coming if the light's coming from behind me and it's kind of flat then give me a strong composition that makes it interesting like just anything to give me some kind of drama that's what i'm seeking out and if if i can position myself to make the light more dramatic uh or to make the background versus the light on the subject more dramatic or more different like that's what i'm lo i'm looking for extremes all the time i guess is a good way to describe it mm -hmm. yeah i guess a lot of people especially starting with as wildlife photographers they kind of think of that light and the dramatic just conditions to be really set to the beginning and end of the day um, do you ever shoot midday light uh very rarely um i mean overcast light sure yeah right i'll shoot all day uh depending on what i'm photographing um but if it's sunny um i don't know that i seek to go out in the middle of the day there was one time i did because i was trying for a very specific shot i was just trying to shoot a silhouette with like really wild bokeh um and i i needed the sun to just kind of glitter off the water um so i could do that in the middle of the day uh, but the other times that i've shot in the middle of the day are more of just you know, uh, I'm, I'm here at this place. I have some time to kill. I'm just going to walk around and I'll take my camera with me. And then, you know, maybe I see something and I'm able to kind of, you know, see if I can make something happen out of it, which, which for me, honestly, in the middle of the day, if it's like sunny in the middle of the day, I'm seeking a silhouette. Like that's pretty much my go-to. Um, not to say that there's nothing else that can be done, but for me, that's what I find can be uh, manageable with like midday sun and kind of creative and dramatic. Mm -hmm. right right so, i feel like a lot of people they think of like a bird portrait as being like well lit you know just like a basic all-around good shot but like the yeah. silhouette stuff that you do it's like it's different i don't know it's just different where it accentuates the the shape of the bird and everything else too and it's i think that's really refreshing oh thanks man and uh what you said is like the that's the one most all-important rule for me when i shoot a silhouette is the shape of the bird um and that's what i try to instill in the the people that i teach is like if you're going to shoot a silhouette, you've reduced that subject to a shape. That's it. That's all. It, and it's a 2D shape, right? It's like it's we don't have three dimensions here. We can't like spin around and and inspect this from every angle, right? It's just it's it's one angle that we're viewing it from. It's flat and it's just a 2D flat black shape. So that shape better kind of tell the story of what that subject is. And if you can like ID it or at least ID the class of species that it is, then I think it's a successful silhouette, you know, and not to say nothing else can be done like super creative. That's, that's not exactly that. But uh, for me, that's like kind of like my go-to thought is I want that proper shape that shows off, you know, um, like an Ibis bill or, you know, whatever, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you mentioned overcast days. Um, so a lot of people find overcast light extremely flat. I mean, which it is, you know, it has kind of a, yeah. a cooler color tone and, uh, many people won't shoot at all. Um, so when you shoot on those days, uh, what do you do to add drama when there isn't the dramatic light? Yeah, uh, that's a great one. And this is another one that came straight from my portrait days, like my portrait photography. And that is you can totally find and make direction out of uh, overcast light. And it's all about finding um, overhanging other things, right? So in nature, in my, in my wildlife photography, it's looking for um you know uh overhanging trees overhanging branches um and then all of a sudden that creates shadow it creates or not not actual like visible shadow but it creates 
darker patches and then there's all of a sudden there's direction to the light you know so mm -hmm. like if you're under like just imagine being under a big like tall pine tree right and it's real dark over top uh but then it's overcast well if there's like if you're next to a field then all of a sudden that light's coming in from that field and now there's direction to the light so if you stand with the field behind you and your subject's under that dark uh, pine tree right now it's front lit you have like light coming in from behind you and on it well if you stand to the side and shoot parallel to that field well now you have it side lit but it's really soft and it's like a giant softbox coming in from the side and if you shoot in towards that field now it's backlit because it's darker underneath that pine tree and you're shooting out into a brighter field right so now you have backlight that you can manipulate and it's all way softer than we're used to seeing with sunlight but it's there there's mm -hmm. still direction to be had it can still be there and one of my favorite things is to find a big opening in the canopy of trees above and so now you have this big giant soft spotlight coming in overhead and you get this like it's like basically hanging a giant soft box over top of the bird and as long as you're shooting in like with like a nice green background or some just some kind of tone in the background man that's like some real soft dramatic light though yeah, that's awesome. And it, like you said, it's soft enough that you could still get detail on the bird no matter the oh, yeah. of the light. So. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So is there like a certain type of subject that you prefer for overcast? Well, yeah. I mean, generally, like uh, put me in a forest, right? That's where I want to be for overcast. Like uh, I want I want to have a background for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, other than the times I'm specifically trying for high key in the forest or something like that and shooting up against a white sky, uh, I'm looking for a background because I don't want just that like kind of gray sky background and and like man like out on the beach on an overcast day uh, that, that's not too exciting for me you know <laughs> like a yeah. wide open space it's just like that's where the lights like flat and boring and other than doing like high key it's like I, how many high keys am I going to shoot I just don't want to shoot everything high key you know and then that's where because it's open and there's no there's nothing to block or manipulate that light. Now it's just flat everywhere, right? So now there is no direction to the light. It's just just soft, flat, kind of boring light. Um, and again, not to say you can't do some amazing photos in that, right? Because I have taken some and I've seen some amazing, right? You can do some cool stuff in that, but it's way more difficult. And in general, everything's just so flat and blah. But put me in a forest and then all of a sudden I have all the stuff I was talking about, right? I have a, a background. I have uh, things that are manipulating the light and changing the light and causing it to have direction that I can seek out and try and play with and, and work with more. And uh, so generally speaking, like, you know, songbirds, warblers, that kind of stuff is where I'm like, yep, give me overcast all day and I'll be out there shooting all day because in the forest honestly the sun sucks it's hard as hell you know yeah, yeah. it can be frustrating so, during golden hour i find when you get these you know nice rays of sun you know maybe coming through the forest but the bird will never land in the right spot so <laughs> exactly <laughs> never exactly. how patient yeah. yeah 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 totally yeah and you know i mean that's the thing right so that's like if we just talk about warblers right i've been shooting warblers for i don't even know how many years right um so at this point for myself you know, talking to about like go, jumping back to what you were talking about earlier about how I try to get creative with stuff and shoot a little bit different. Well, now with my own personal warbler photography, um, I do seek out going to shoot in the sun. And it means that 99% of those photos are 
not going to work out uh, because like you said, that bird is not going to land in the right spot or he's going to land the spot where there's just a weird branch shadow coming across or there's a hot spot in the background or whatever. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while it lands in that right spot where I get, now I get this like spotlight of sun and it's a dark background and I can make a black background or whatever yeah. out of it. Um, and so it's way harder. Like if I'm going to take somebody out for a job and shoot warblers, well, I'm praying for overcast light cause it's just so much more forgiving and easier and gives us way more opportunity. But if I'm shooting for myself, I kind of don't mind that, uh, that's that sunlight because, um, I already have the other, uh, the other shots over and over and over again. Yeah. It's that consistency for clients. Um, you know, when you're a professional, yeah. I, I guess you really got to take that stuff under account. So, It's a very different approach. And that's the one thing I think that was probably the most shocking to me was I had this idea of I'm going to be a professional wildlife photographer and I'm just going to be out photographing birds all day, like every time, all the time. Right. And I am. But the reality is I'm not photographing them for me. And that's very different. Right. So what I want for myself versus what my, 90% of my clients want are two very different things. And also, you know, and I, I don't know how to say this without sounding like I'm trying to brag here and I, I don't mean it that way, but I have a lot more experience than a lot of my students. Right. So what I can do versus what my students can do are two different things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, just as far as understanding like some of that more challenging light and how to set the camera properly or how to just think quick and change things right um if you don't have the experience doing that stuff it can be very challenging and and honestly frustrating you know um so i'm not going to put most of my students in that scenario because they're just going to walk away unhappy with photos that they don't like um whereas if it was just me i'm gonna certainly put myself in that situation because i'm gonna kind of strive for that or at least be okay with walking away with nothing Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. You're you're more likely to like take creative risks if it's just you going solo. Yeah. But you know, when you're really when you're teaching clients, it's like you're there to really, I guess, in a way, sell them the, the experience you know, of taking uh, photos of yeah. birds. Yep, yep, and and give them some knowledge of how to do that. And and listen, some clients. Uh, I I work with a wide range of clients. You know, some clients are coming to me because they're like dude, I really love what you do with this, you know, X style of lighting. And I want to learn more about that. And I'm like, sweet, let's go do it here. Let's go get challenging. And this is how we do it. Right. But a lot of people are coming to me and they're just like, I just want to understand how to do this better. Right. And that's a very different approach than let's go shoot backlight for the next two hours. Right. Of course. Yeah. That's a nice segue. Actually, I was going to ask you next is that how much like research you really put in the finding and photographing your subjects. So maybe you could talk a little bit more about your workflow in terms of that. Yeah. Um, anymore, it's a lot less only because I'm generally working the same areas. So I kind of have them down now over the years, you know? Um, so, uh, again, it's two different approaches, right? So if it's for, uh, a job, if if it's for clients I'm going to take out, well, then I'm never going to go to a place I've never been before. I have to go there first and make sure I'm confident that I can bring clients back there and get semi-repeatable results, right? Nothing's ever guaranteed, but I, I need to know at least with a, a decent percentage that I'm going to be able to take somebody back and get them similar results that I just got on my own, right? So um, every time I add a new destination workshop uh, that I'm going to take people to, I got to go there first and shoot it. And then it usually means the workshop ain't happening until the next year at that same time of year, you know? So that's kind of how that works. Um, plus I very much rely on, um, other friends that I've met, uh, through this 
that live in those areas that kind of have a really good understanding. So I can go in, they can show me where things are good. And then we usually work that, that workshop the, together the following year, right? So I've really relied on partnering with people to be able to allow me to quickly go to some of these destinations that otherwise would probably take me like, you know, two to three, even more years on my own to figure out. Um, but if I'm going to go to a destination myself and just shoot for me, I do no research anymore. I just show up and just enjoy it, man. I just love to go to a place now and not have any preconceived notions of what I want to shoot um, or ideas of species I want to chase. I just like showing up and seeing what unfolds and just kind of going with the flow now. Right. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it, though, is because uh, we've had previous guests on where they say the same thing. You know, they'll just like drop themselves in a location. And it's that's really just the exciting part is you never know really what you're going to find. But it also yeah. doesn't like, like heighten your expectations in a way too. So you're not, you know, if you leave empty handed, you're not going to be disappointed too. Totally, man. My first time going to Alaska uh, with Jamin Taylor um, was in October, September of 2021. And he kept messaging me ahead of time. He's like, hey man, all right, so what, what, what species you want? What do you want to try for? And I just kept telling him like, dude, I don't care. Like just, I just want to show up and shoot. You know what I mean? And uh, he just, he kept, he, it was funny because he just continued to ask. He was like, are you sure? Like, what do you want? I'm like, no, nah, man, like whatever, you know? And I went there and had an amazing time. Now, I also had an amazing time because he's an amazing photographer, knew the areas, and he took me to some amazing places, right? If I would have just dropped myself in Alaska randomly with no help, <laughs> I don't know that that would have <laughs> gone the same way, right? Uh, but um, it's still just fun to go out and explore that way. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a very fun approach that way, but I also, there is the flip side of that where sometimes for myself, if I'm trying for a very specific shot, I'm doing a ton of research. I'm doing a ton of scouting. I'm going back to the same place over and over and over and over and over again, just trying to get this one shot, you know? Um, like there's one shot of a long tailed duck I've been trying for like four years running now and I still haven't gotten it. Um, and so there's things like that where it's the complete opposite that I just really do dial in and, and have an image in mind and just do everything I can to try and make that happen. Yeah. That's a good point too, with uh, sharing the experiences you mentioned earlier, with just sharing your photography. You're also sharing it in the field as well. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yeah. I think yeah. there's also a point too, um, when you're going to a location for the first time, I mean, research is very helpful, but, I think there's some things that can only be, you know, kind of discovered in the field. Um, like for me, for example, there's been another number of times that like I'm going for maybe early morning light on a subject, but then there's trees blocking it. And, yeah. you know, it may be hard to see on like a map or something. So I think um, there's a level of planning, but there's also a level of, you know, you just have to go there, like you said, multiple times and really kind of scope out the area. Yeah. And you know what? You bring up a great point there. And it's one of the things I see over and over and over again with, um, you know, my clients and students that I take out. And that's this concept of over the over the years, the experience you gain and how that affects your ability to think and change in the field quickly. Right. And so an example, um, you know, I walk into a forest with, uh, you know, a client and we're photographing, you know, pick any warbler species, right? And then all of a sudden the warbler drops in front of us and starts feeding in a particular area. I instinctually, just without even thinking, start moving in certain directions. And 
I didn't even notice it until I started teaching it, right? So when I start teaching it, I start verbalizing that. And I'm saying, all right, so we're going to move this direction because do you see that in the background over there? That's doing this or the light's coming in this way. And if we move in this direction, that's going to help like fix this or change this and make this more interesting or more dramatic and blah, blah, blah. But meanwhile, I watch them when they're standing there. And this is this is how it should be, right? Because they're they're with me to learn. Um, they just kind of stand there. And the first thing they do is the bird lands and they just start picking up and shooting, right? And my almost first thought is, all right, where do I go to fix this? And sometimes it's even before the bird's there, right? Sometimes you hear the bird and you know the area it's going to be and you just, I just start kind of moving and gravitating to certain areas. And then I have people ask me why, and then I have to explain it, you know? And so it's interesting that over the years, like this, this almost gut instinct of you just start moving certain directions and sometimes you don't even know that you're doing it. And I didn't even know I was doing it until I had to teach it. It's interesting. Yeah. And it's a really good point about, you know, you really have to, you know, be actively speaking about what you're doing, your actions and everything too. And also how they compose a photograph as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it just, I think it goes to the point you were making that, um, sometimes you have to be in those areas to experience that, you know, like you no no amount of online research or anything like that is going to, uh, allow you to see what's actually there until you're actually there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. And trial and error as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> heavy on the error. Do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot more misses than hits. Yeah. Oh, uh, no doubt. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh so, yeah, shifting gears here, um, maybe you could talk about how you made the jump into living in a van and tell us more about that. Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, it's been really interesting. So I, um, uh, long story short, just it finally happened in my life where I just wasn't really tied to one area anymore. Um, and that was Southern New Jersey, right? That's where I've, I was born and raised and kind of just lived all my life in different areas, but all around Southern New Jersey. And, you know, I started traveling a little bit more. And like I mentioned earlier, I'd gotten divorced. So I was, you know, it was just me. So I didn't have uh, another person, uh, another family or anything like that to kind of consider. Uh, I was able to, to honestly just be selfish. Right. Um, and so as I got more and more into the wildlife photography and more and more into, you know, adding new destinations and, and branching out, um, it, it kind of became clear that being tied to one location a didn't need to be that way anymore. And then B probably was better if I wasn't. Um, and so I just kind of, kind of realized that and was able to, uh, sell my condo and most of the stuff in it. Um, and uh, again, a, a huge thanks to my family. It's not, I don't think it's something I could have done as easily without my family because I was able to then, you know, move in with my mom for a little bit while I searched for a van to live out of. And then, you know, I did, it didn't take me long, actually. I think from when I sold my condo to when I bought my van was maybe less than a month. So I found it pretty quickly. And then I was actually traveling for like the next month and a half. So I wasn't even around. So I bought the van. I paid for the van. 
and then had some upgrades done on it. It was so I bought a uh, a Road Trek Zion. So it is a camper van made by a company that's you know they do like this is what they do, right? I think they're based in Canada. Um, so I didn't want to build anything myself. That's just not me. I mean, more power to the people that do, but like that sounds like a nightmare to me. <laughs> um, Fair enough. So I wanted to buy something that was just ready to go, had everything in it, and was made to live in, right? Uh, and so I did. It's a, it's like a twenty. It's just over twenty feet long um based on like the dodge ram uh chassis and it's got everything i mean it's got a huge refrigerator in it which i don't use at all but i just use it for storage um but a bathroom that i do use got a stove microwave um you know sink outdoor shower in like shower inside as well um heater air conditioner air conditioner i've never used yet um heater i'm using a lot right now because it's cold in new jersey <laughs> uh, and yeah it's kind of got everything right so um I realized when I was living in my condo that I spend 90% of my waking hours in a 10 by 10 office just working on the computer anyway. So I'm like, I don't need this big two bedroom, two bath condo because I'm only spending my time indoors in this one room anyway. And then my bedroom is sleep. So like I'm, I'm already basically living in, you know, a single tiny room. So the camper van will be fine. And then uh, the rest of my time is already spent outdoors, you know? So it, it kind of made perfect sense. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, I bought the van, traveled for a month and a half while they added solar and did a few other things that I wanted to, done to the van at the dealership I bought it from. And so, and then I came back and, uh, and picked it up and then just started living out of it. But, you know, it made it easier because I had my mom's house to park it at, right? So I didn't have to you know, find a campground or find somewhere to, to park the thing every single night. I always had somewhere to go. And then when I just spent the last two and a half months in Florida, um, I, my sister lives down there and I was able to park it in her driveway. Right. So those kinds of things have made this transition so much easier for me. Whereas if I didn't have that, uh, I think it'd be a lot more difficult to just all of a sudden sell your condo, get rid of all your crap and then be living in a van and have to figure out everything like where do i park this every single night and that sort of stuff you know so having family has made a huge difference for me there yeah i mean that's still a big life change though have you had any like adjustment struggles you know what i haven't man it's been pretty smooth uh and again i think just due to the fact that i always have a house that i can walk into every day usually like if i decide to stay around either my mom's or my sister's you know i had a house that i can go in and shower right so i don't even have to really use the shower and in fact i've never used the shower in this thing yet even though i can um so that has has certainly helped ease the burden um and no, I got to say, be, I think because of those things, it's all been a really positive experience. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't feel cramped in here at all. And, you know, I, I hear a lot of you know, I've watched some videos and heard other people talking about living in the vans. And they're just like, well, no, I mean, it's great because you're, you spend all your time outside anyway. You're just you're only in the van to sleep. Well, for me, it's a little different because I spend so much time uh, working on photography and teaching photography try sitting outside in bright sunlight and looking at your laptop and accurately judging any kind of photo, uh -huh. right? It's especially impossible. in Florida too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter. I mean, even just an overcast day, there's so much glare. You can't see anything. I'd be telling people to adjust photos so horribly if I sat outside. So, um, I spend a lot of time working with people all over the world on zoom and teaching them photography and how to edit their photos. So I have to be inside where I can control the light a little bit more. So I spend a fair amount of hours inside of this van 
And guys, I don't feel cramped at all, man. It just, it's, it's plenty of space. It doesn't feel any worse than just sitting in my office, which I've been doing for the last eight years anyway, you know, um, except I have a hell of a view and anytime I want, I can take a break and walk outside. And, and that's the biggest, like wonderful surprise to me is even though I'm inside of this a lot, I still feel so much more connected to outside. Um, when I'm in the warmer climate, right? The windows are always open. I always have fresh air. I hear the sounds of things outside. I'm parking in these places that have wonderful views and kind of entice me to step outside and just, even if it's just for five minutes between jobs, uh, just to step outside and get that fresh air. Whereas when I was in my office, I just would sometimes sit inside and never step foot outside all day long, right? Um, so there's there's all these things that just kind of, Feel, I feel so much more connected to outside and nature. And that was kind of a surprise and it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And I'd imagine it lead to a lot more photo opportunities too. Like you don't have to be tied down to kind of a central location. I'm sure you can kind of pick and choose a little bit more. Dude, one of the best, like one of the best examples of that, I was in Florida. Um, I had parked along this causeway. It's this beautiful spot near where my sister lives. Uh, and it's just like a, a a bridge going out to um to the like from uh, the mainland to the barrier islands and so you're kind of like in the intercoastal down there and there's there's just palm trees and the weather's perfect like nice breeze coming in off the water so i parked there a lot because it's just a beautiful spot and the weather's always nice and it felt beautiful and so the one day i'm working right i'm, I'm in doing my zoom client and i finish up them right before sunset and I look out the back and there's just like, oh, there's a little blue heron walking right out the back of my, you know, because I had the whole, the whole back doors were wide open, right? And I'm just looking out the screen and there's the little blue heron. So I just pick my camera up and I walk outside in my sandals and my shorts and I just start following the little blue heron down this uh, little rock thing. And, and then he eventually, uh, I was starting to try and shoot him and then he flies off. And I was like, oh, this is kind of weird that he flew off. I, I wasn't pushing any closer. And I, I looked back behind me and somebody was just walking a dog by. And I thought to myself, ah, well, whatever. It's a public place. And, you know, that kind of thing happens. And, and so I just continued walking, you know, just a little bit more. And I looked up and the sunset was gorgeous. So I point my camera at the sunset just to photograph the sunset. And I had the 300 F4 on with the teleconverter. So 420 millimeter. Um, and then as I look through the viewfinder, a pelican flies through and right into the sun. Oh, my gosh. And I just go, I go click, click, right? Two frames, just like that. And then I have this silhouetted pelican, like, in this epic sunset. And it was just like a moment after I had just finished working. I just walked outside because I saw this bird. And I'm not kidding you guys. Within five minutes, I had this, like, one of my best like pelican silhouettes I've ever taken and it just happened like that and then I hopped back in the van and drove back to my sister's house and parked for the evening it's like, <laughs> like <laughs> that kind of stuff happens and I'm like oh this is the life <laughs> yeah wow yeah. and you probably yeah. you probably have your computer right there too so you can get that instant gratification Oh yeah, totally. If I wanted to, yeah, I could have just like grabbed it and import. In fact, I probably, I think I did. I think I imported it and then immediately text to my friends and go, look what just happened and explain the story. And they all curse at me and tell me how much I suck. And I laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do totally, it's not lost on me how incredibly lucky I am, you know? Uh, and I do recognize how, and listen, not to say I don't put, I haven't put the work in, right? But there's, there's also just situations in my life, you know, like I mentioned, like my family that's been able to help and, and stuff like that. So I, I do recognize that while I have worked hard for this, uh, there are, I am also lucky to have this. 
Yeah. It's good to you almost like wake up each day with gratitude just for like how much, how far you've come and how far you're going really in a way too. Incredible. I mean, every single day, you're not, you're not wrong. I just wake up and I'm just kind of like, I can't believe this is my life right now. It's so, it's just incredible. And even being up here in the cold and it's been a little bit tougher, it's still, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so you do a lot of like behind the scenes videos and you have some podcasts. Could you talk a bit about those projects and how they may strengthen your business and creativity? Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, the podcast has been a uh, an absolute blast. Uh, the Wildlife Photo Chat podcast. Thanks for mentioning that. Um, I've been slacking on that lately, just because that's a little bit more work to do. Um, because I have to, you know, like as you guys know, right? You got to take the time to find the guests, schedule with the guests, especially you know as soon as you start getting international and working with other time zones, it's just challenging to schedule things. Mm -hmm. um, and and my life schedule is kind of the opposite of everybody else's, you know. Uh, I'm working mornings and evenings. I'm ready to do stuff smack in the middle of the day, Monday through Friday, when most other people are working. You know, um, so that doesn't make things easy to schedule. Um, so I, I haven't recorded any in a little while, but I I plan on getting back to them at some point. Um, and then the Wildlife Photo Chat Raw podcast has been really fun, and that's just you know me and um, you know my now girlfriend Emily Reed, and then our friend Susan Geiswhite, and uh, it's just the three of us every single week talking, and that's easier because we have kind of a set schedule every week where we just make sure we do that, and we don't have to you know find a guest and prepare for a guest and all that stuff, right? So uh, that podcast has been just a lot easier to continue to do and uh, and really fun. Um, and then, yeah, a little behind the scenes stuff. Again, that's something I've kind of slacked on. I, I did a bunch for a while and then just got really busy and slacked on. But I, in my mind, I have a really strong desire and I want to make a concerted effort to get back to that again this year. Um, because, again, just like I, I mentioned in the beginning, I love sharing, right? I love sharing this stuff and this content. And I love when I can share stuff that helps teach others and helps others accelerate uh, their their knowledge. And I'm not afraid to give away, you know, a, a little bit of knowledge because I think that uh, people that really want to learn are then going to recognize that they can still learn better by paying me and learning directly with me. And that that mindset has seemed to have worked out, you know, because, uh, yeah, my business has just keeps growing year after year. And uh, this year is already shaping up to be by far way better you know, financially than last year. Um, and so, yeah, I do think putting out that content, uh, it really helps. And for me, it's my way of advertising. I feel like I suck at marketing myself and I don't know how to advertise myself. So my way has always been with all of my businesses is to just keep putting stuff out there and eventually people will recognize it and then hire me. And it, it it's slow. It's not like I am not good at that overnight internet sensation of, you know, just growing my account and having hundreds of thousands of followers out of nowhere, stuff like that. Uh, that's not me. I am the guy that just keeps putting it out there and grows a few followers every day, maybe, and then just gets the work and keeps going. And, and I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm no master of marketing, but I'd say that's pretty much marketing to a T in a way. It's just, you know, you just got to keep producing content, putting it out there to share with people. That's the, uh, that's a great point, Ryan is like, um, is not giving up, you know, when you first start trying to share on social media or anything, right. It feels like you're just sharing to nobody almost, or just the tiniest of audiences. Right. But, you know, in my mind, it's like, that's, what's always worked for me is I just kept doing it and I didn't stop. Right. Because I enjoyed sharing and that was it. That was the, that was the bottom line. I'm just like, 
it's okay if just a few people are viewing it. I'm just going to keep sharing because I like sharing. And eventually, you know, after, and I'm sure many people don't want to hear this, right? But after five, six, 10 years, now I have a big audience, you know what I mean? And now I can do a new project and automatically have a big audience because I've been doing this so long that a lot of people follow me and, you know, maybe recognize my name or share the stuff around. Right. And again, it's not, you know, it's not tens of thousands of followers every time I do things or, you know, millions of views on anything I do. It's not those numbers, but it's, it's enough, you know, and, and the numbers don't really matter because I just love sharing stuff. And if people see it and enjoy it, that's great. Yeah, that's a great point too. Uh, I was going to ask you also with, I know we mentioned social media a little bit at the beginning and Flickr and all that, but like, how do you feel as like standing out? Like what's a good way to do that nowadays with so many wildlife photographers? Oh, I love that question, man. Um, I think the answer is do what you enjoy, share your passion. Do not worry about what does best or what you think does best on whatever platform it is, you know? Uh, and that goes back to that, that, th that statement I was saying earlier, right? Where some people, I feel like they say, you know, I shoot for myself. And I think maybe I misinterpret that sometimes. I think the right interpretation of that is uh, kind of how I say it, right? So I shoot what I like and I share what I like. I don't care if it's going to do well on Instagram uh, or not. You know, I, I've become kind of known for a smaller in frame style, right? Where the subject isn't filling the frame. And, you know, I think most people would agree that that's kind of the opposite of what does maybe the best on Instagram. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, I feel that because I've stuck to my guns and just continued to share those images, I'm now known for that. And so now I've stood out because I didn't follow maybe what the masses did. Mm -hmm. And you have a more dedicated community too, you know, rather than maybe an artificial uh, falling based on kind of algorithm trends and whatnot. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think like it's easy for people to really pick up on that sometimes too, is like when someone's just following a trend versus like doing what they love the most and just being authentic really at most. Yeah. That's a great word. Being authentic, you know, be authentic uh, to yourself and what you really love with this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, um, I think if you stick with that, and it's hard, I think. I get that, right? It's hard to maybe share what you think is a creative photo and then you see somebody else that maybe uh, shares what you think is less creative or is, or is more of following that crowd and they get the recognition, right? So that's an easy kind of visual cue to you, like an obvious cue to you of like, well, if I share that, then maybe I'll get that same thing. Uh, and I think that's a little bit folly, you know, I think that's chasing the wrong thing. I think if you just stick to your guns, um, even when it's not doing great, that eventually it will. And that's how you stand out. Right. If you and, and we all do that. Like, that's the funny thing. Right. We all say as photographers, uh, I think even beginner photographers get that that concept of, well, I want to stand out from the crowd. Like I want I want my work to stand out amongst <clears throat> the masses of everything. Right. And how are you going to do that if you're sharing the same thing as everybody else? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, it's it's really that short-term, you know, gratification versus kind of building that long-term uh, growth. I think you definitely uh, totally. represent that second point. So, oh, thank you, man. Thank you. Of course, yeah. Sorry, I got like something attacking my throat right now. Hey, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh.
No worries at all. Yeah. Yeah. Henry and I did a webinar recently for out of Chicago. Um, not to like boast about it, but like we did one about no, that's upcoming. Awesome. Yeah. We did one about up and coming photographers and how to stand out. So um, I just thought it was a good question because it's like, there's many different ways you can, you know, really promote your work and everything, but it's all about persistence and really keeping at it too. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. It is about persistence, you know, and then there's also like a concept of just being different for different sake. Isn't necessarily great. Right. So um, you know, it has to be, it has to be different and kind of visually appealing too. So there's, I mean, there is an artistic element to that, um, that I think, you know, has to, it's gotta be a kind of a combination of the two. Uh, but I think you can't rush it, man. That's the thing that I think I have a very different perspective than most, uh, I'd say photographers, at least that started out in the last five years, right. That started out with social media existing because, as you guys heard earlier, right? I started out like a very long time ago. I've been doing this a long time. I've been shooting specifically birds and concentrating on it for over 15 years. And so I now just feel like in the last five years, I've like really developed that style and honed it and, and gained the audience because of it. So that means the first 10 years, the first decade of me doing this, I don't really feel like I had necessarily really honed in on that style and developed it and and gotten really good at it and been able to stick with it enough to garner an audience that recognizes it like that's how long it took me and listen there are there's so many people so much better at this than me at all aspects of it right at, at the that at sharing their photography at marketing themselves and just at photography in general right there's so many better people and so some people do ha make it happen fast right but i think for the majority of us, it does not happen fast. And I think if you try to force yourself to have a style too quick, it's not going to be your style. It's going to be what you're chasing. I think if you just naturally let it develop, you're just going to naturally start to make decisions that lead you in the direction of what you naturally like, right? Uh, and, and that's just an organic way to to like gain and grow your your own photography style is to just let it happen and give it time to grow yeah 100 percent. yeah that's awesome that's a good way to put it yeah awesome. for sure. uh yeah Ray. so to wrap up the show here um we're just gonna do like a little right lightning round here um, i'm gonna ask you yeah, a few yeah. questions uh just to give us some, some quick answers here uh so sure. yeah. all right so give us a goal you're going for whether in photography or your business um goal in photography is to start doing more project-based stuff. So instead of just going out to try and get single individual photos that I share, I want to start making cohesive sets of images. Okay. Awesome. Interesting. Uh, is there any, yeah. um, is there so any new species or you want to photograph? Nah, I'm not a species chaser. Um, I, I don't have anything specific species wise. Um, I, I've never been much of a species chaser. I'm more of a good photo chaser, right? So I care more about the photograph in the end than the species. So the species doesn't matter if I can do something cool and creative with the shot. Interesting. It's good. Yeah. It's good perspective. Yeah. Common species, but something different. Unique. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Doesn't matter what it is. And instead of doing just that single photo, like that's the, that's what ties into that project kind of concept is I want to start doing like a set of images that, Maybe maybe one image by itself doesn't stand out or is even kind of mundane, but then when the whole set is presented together, 
then they make they elevate every image you know so that's what i want to start kind of concentrating on because i've gotten so bored with just taking the single image and sharing it like and and, and i just mean for me personally i just it doesn't excite me anymore and so i i simply had a conversation with some some really close friends that i trust and respect and and we kind of together you know with their suggestions and and uh, stuff like that kind of came up with that concept for me and I, and I love it. And so that's what I'm really going to try and work on this year. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what's your, uh, most exciting trip of 2022, uh, that you got planned? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think it's going to have to be, uh, going up to Newfoundland to see, uh, my good friend, Brad James up there. Um, nice. because it's just an area I've never been. So some of the other trips are really exciting this year, but um, all the, all the rest of them or most of the rest of them are places I've been. Um, so, you know, the, the new and unknown is the most exciting for me right now. So, awesome. uh, yeah, but I got some, I'm going to be in some great places this year, but that one sounds really exciting. Yeah. I've heard great things about that place. So looking forward yeah. to seeing that. Yeah. Same me here. too. And I'm going to try and road trip it too. I'm going to try and drive the van there. I'm going wow. to um, put the van on the ferry and then drive across the entire island of Newfoundland. That's East awesome. Coast to the West coast where he is. So yeah. that's the tentative plan right now. So we'll see. This should be pretty epic. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Awesome. Uh, Ray, this has been a great conversation. So where can go, listeners go to learn more about your work? Uh, it's simple, man. RayHennessy.com. Uh, so the last name is H-E-N-N-E-S-S-Y. Uh, but yeah, it's just Ray Hennessy Wildlife is my uh, business name. And you can find, I think, um, Ray Hennessy Wildlife on Instagram. But my website is where everything's at. That's where all of my podcasts, all of my videos, every photo I share every day, every every everything i share is all there there's just a ton of content there um and it's probably the one thing that i'm kind of like the most proud of because uh it's the one place that i that any like any viewer can go and see all of my stuff in good quality presented the way i want it that's not you know hampered by any social media or anything like that and i just i put so many hundreds and hundreds probably thousands of hours uh, into the content on that site. And so I'm very proud of it. And, and, uh, I hope people can kind of check it out and spend a lot of time there and enjoy some stuff and, and hopefully learn some stuff too. Awesome. Right. I remember seeing your Instagram. Yeah. Each photo says like, you love to see this photo larger. And I agree. Like you need to really need to see them on a full size screen for them. Yeah. And, uh, and a little teaser for anybody listening, right. If you ever like as a, as the learning aspect, right. I list my camera settings for every single photo on my website. I don't do that on social media all over the place, you know? Awesome. Um, so you, you get a little bonus uh, extra stuff by just viewing the photo on my website every day. Yeah. That's great. Very useful for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we really appreciate your conversation tonight. Um, we've learned a lot, uh, both Ryan and I, and I'm sure our viewers will really appreciate it as well. So, uh, before we go here, I do want to mention um, our Patreon um, is linked down below. Um, Ryan and I have really been trying to push that recently, um, as well as our other social medias. And uh, thanks again, Ray, for coming on tonight. It's been great. Uh, thank you, guys. It was an awesome time chatting with you. Best of luck to you both with the podcast. It's really awesome that you guys are doing. I know it's a lot of hard. Uh, I know from experience. So uh, congrats to you guys for going as, as long and as strong as you have. And uh, I wish you guys the best and keep it up. We appreciate it. Appreciate that. Thank you.